You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. There's parts of this story in Mark chapter 7 that I find truly remarkable to me. It it has unusual aspects. It has tenderness in it. It has the careful working of God in it. You've heard me say, and and I've shared this a couple of weeks ago on on a Sunday morning, again, how God just shows me after I was willing to let God truly show me who he is, how many things have been affected by that. From the woman at the well who we think he's upset because of how many times she's married and she's living with a guy that she's not married to. So we jump in the middle of, well, Jesus is about to deal with her sin and her rebellion and all the stuff she's done, when in reality what he's doing is dealing with her broken heart. The fact that she's been rejected five times and is currently being rejected and everything Jesus did was bringing value to this woman that no one valued. That's a different heart. That's really the heart of a father. When he showed me again, as I shared two weeks ago, just this statement when he showed me what he meant when he said, Adam, where are you? And I just love the fact that we have, because of our thought of God, oh, they've messed up, so now he's got to get them. He's going to punish them. Instead, what God showed me, instead of it being, Adam, where are you? The, the real sentiment was, Adam, you, you think you can do this without me. In reality, what I'm trying to tell you is, God, I can't do this without you. I made you to bear my image. And why does that make so much difference to me? It makes a huge difference because he says the same things to us today. We were designed to be the image bearers of God. And he says, where are you? Why are you hiding behind your fear? Why are you hiding behind your prejudice? Why are you hiding behind religion? Why are you hiding behind your hurt? Where are you? I designed you to be the bearer of my image. Why are you hiding from me? He says the same thing to us today because he knows that where we hide simply means I'm not walking in the best. Somebody asked me, well, didn't, but didn't God punish them? Wasn't they had, they, you know, she had to have the pain in childbearing and didn't he have to make a living now by the sweat of his brow? And I said, yeah, but the reality of that is that's not punishment for what they did. That's the reality of the fact that they stepped out of God's best. Because God's best, they were already tilling the, they were already working in the garden. But when they stepped out of God's best, now that work becomes hard. God's hand kept it from being hard. When they chose to step out from under God's will, it became hard on them. The the childbirth Pain was a natural consequence. The fact that God had his hand on it said it won't be painful. 
They are the ones that move, not God. Powerful differences in perspective. He wasn't punishing them because they messed up. He was saying, now this is the natural consequences of you moving out from under my best. How do I know that? Because it still happens today. We move out from under God's best. There's a natural consequence to it. If I, if, if, if I can walk in, the, in this love, this perfect love that casts out fear, I won't be afraid. What happens the minute when I stop walking in that perfect love? There will be a, there will be a consequence to it. Why the consequence? So that God can remind us, you're missing my best. The, the, the design was always very simple. But we miss it because we misunderstand the heart of God. We think he's angry. Well, these kind of stories that we read about in, in Mark chapter 7 are, to me, are those stories that reassure us of this tenderness of God. We watch Jesus move, the expressed image of the Father. We watch him as he does exactly what he's about to do in the life of this person. So let's begin reading in verse 31, Mark 7, verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and he put his finger into his ears and he spit and he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were open and the string of his tongue was loosed. And he spake plain, and he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. And they were beyond measure astonished, saying, He has done all these things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Again, one of those things that when we, when we wonder, when we question, about life today and how routine it becomes, often how tedious it becomes, methodical it becomes, and even boring it becomes. It becomes that way because we don't live in anticipation of encounters with God. I would encourage everyone, not because I'm right in this, but I would encourage everyone to consider something similar. I've shared this very openly, that when Jan and I sit down at breakfast in the morning and I reach and get her hand and we're, we're holding hands before we eat and I pray, Father, thank you for the goodness you've already placed in this day. Thank you for the kindness that's already there. Thank you for the opportunities that you have put in front of me, put in front of us. Thank you, Father, for how you're going to demonstrate that love to us today. What does that prayer do? It puts me in the mindset that I'm, and I, and I tell him in the prayer, thank you, Father, that we now get to go and discover all the places where you've put it. It opens us up to the reality that I'm leaving my house this morning, anticipating that I'm going to see the goodness of God. 
I'm going to be the recipient of his kindness, but he's also going to give me opportunities so that that kindness he's giving me, I get to extend to somebody else. I, I, I told this to several in my office, but not this week and not last week, but the, I, I meet a guy for lunch uh, every Tuesday and every Tuesday he picks first cafeteria. That's where he wants to eat. So, uh, we experience furs ever every two weeks. Oh, furs? furs cafeteria mm-hmm. on the South Loop, and uh, so I'm sitting in the booth. Uh, I don't ever get very much, so it doesn't take very long to eat. Uh, and I'm sitting there, and and it's one of those wonderful, beautiful moments when God says, "Okay, Randy, when you go pay, whoever walks up behind you, I want you to pay." So if I was smart, I'd have been watching more carefully and pick my time to go up there so there would be nobody behind me. Well, I got up there, and I'm signing my ticket, and there's nobody behind me. So I'm signing, and I look up, and this family of about 14 walks up. And so I see a lady back over here, about six people back, and she's holding her ticket in her hand. So I walk over to her, and I tell her, ma'am, uh, I was sitting in the booth earlier. I'm not trying to be forward. I'm not, I, I just need to tell you. I was sitting in the booth, and the Holy Spirit told me to pay for whoever was behind me. And she says, well, I'm not really behind you, this lady. And right here, there was another lady with a ticket. And it's like, oh. So I told that lady the same thing. And I'm, just, I'm standing there thinking, God, what did you say? Pay for who comes up behind you. So $140 later, I'm getting out of furs. <laughs> and absolutely, wonderfully blessed. I don't know what God was doing. Maybe he just has a sense of humor. I don't know. I don't know if some child saw something, if the grandmother saw something, if one of these women saw something, if their heart was touched. I don't know what he did. But I enjoyed the moment because I, I wake each day in anticipation of those moments he's going to give. I've taught y'all, you know, that in that former life, prior to being saved, the sin that, that is truly the sin that would separate us from God, the currency that is shared in that sin is money, power, and pleasure. That's what we exchange in those actions. Saved, now walking in this newness of life, there's a new currency. It's joy. Why? Because he pours into us so fully, this river is coming into us. What's the chances I can drink a river? So what's going to happen? I'm going to get to drink my fill, and then out of that overflow, it's going to pour to somebody else. What happens in the exchange between that which I receive and that which I give? What's the currency? It's joy. What if we wake each day in anticipation? Jesus waking up each day saying, Father, I I know this is going to be a good one. This is going to be some more day. Because you're going to give me... You're going to put people before me that are blind. You're going to put people in front of me that are deaf. And I'm going to get to watch you do remarkable things. 
this has to be the most fun that, that any person could ever possibly have that walked the face of the earth. To wake up each day knowing who his father was, knowing that these hands were going to be used by the father, that there was going to be a mountain that needed to be moved, and I can say to the mountain, then move. I think that would be a wonderfully fun life. Well, it's still possible to us. I pray that each morning. I mean, it, we, without, it, it may sound methodical, it may sound ridiculous, but it sets my heart for the anticipation for whoever's going to come into my office, who's going to sit there, the gift that they're going to be to me, what the goodness that they're going to bring, the opportunities that the Holy Spirit gives me to give back to them so that so the currency is joy the anticipation of what I'm going to get to see, how his hands are going to move, what his feet are going to do. You know, I had a lady in my office yesterday. She got, no, she wasn't bothered. I can't. She was, she was telling me that a friend of hers had, after the passing of her husband, had bought a, a little townhouse, I guess, no yard, nice house. And she was saying, that's what I want. I want one of those. And I told her, sitting in my office several months ago, I said, well, that's, I'm glad that she did this for your, this friend of yours, but, and this is, it may be exactly what God wants to do for you, but he may have something completely in store different. And she said she left kind of like, no, it's a townhouse. That's what I want. So she was telling me yesterday, I hadn't seen her in several weeks, and she was telling me yesterday that she has this wonderful opportunity to do something totally different. And she said in the middle of this conversation of totally different, she said this conversation comes back in her head where Randy's saying, but God may have something totally different. I love those moments. I love the fact that God gets glory, that God gets acknowledged because he is the God that he is. So we get to this story. Here's Jesus, and they bring to him this man who is both, uh, it says, uh, they bring unto him one that was deaf and had impediment in his speech. And it looks like by what happened that his tongue was attached, that it, he couldn't, his tongue wasn't loose. So who is this man? He is... Every man without ears to hear. He is every man with a tongue but cannot speak. Now we look at this as a physical impediment. It was. But who does he represent to us? He represent, represents every man who has ears but won't hear. Every man who has a tongue but won't speak. Why, why wouldn't they? Because life beats them up. Because they tried and somebody slapped them. They tried to speak and somebody wounded them. And so they become silent. And we're surrounded by them. We don't know it, but we're surrounded by them. I have a, my mind goes back to a story when I was still in the oil field and I took over a team and a guy came to join us from another department into this team. 
we were having a meeting in the bank in Seminole because it was kind of a center place where we could all meet and they made the conference room of the bank available and we were, we were meeting there. This guy walks out with me and he said, can I tell you something? And I said, tell me anything. He said, I am so grateful for the atmosphere that you create where foul language is not only not expected, not tolerated, but, but seems so out of place in this atmosphere. He said, the atmosphere where I worked, it almost became a necessity. But it was like he, he could breathe because he was given permission because back in the, in, in the world where he'd come from, he couldn't speak what he wanted to speak. He couldn't hear what he wanted to hear. The environment was so hard, and we know portions of the oil field where that's, it's been that way for a long time. So he was stifled, and he, and he comes to me and says, I can, I'm amazed that I can say God's name and not be so, no one surprised by it. Or that I can ask to pray, and we'll pray. He said, I've never been able to do that. A Christian who was stifled in where he was. There's a lot of reasons why people have tongues and can't speak and ears that they can't hear. And they're, not, they're usually, in our lives, not physical, but the, but, the, but the impediment is equally real. They're characterized by not comprehending what they hear, not speaking the things that they know, and what they hear doesn't change their life. Those are characteristics of the majority this isn't a minority of people we're talking about in our lives today. Most people I know uh, do not comprehend what they hear. They don't speak the things that they know. They don't share the things that they know to be true. And what they hear doesn't change their life. That's the majority. I have a, a man who used to come to this church and... When he, he visited with me later, and there's no indictment in what I'm about to say. It was just his observation. He said, Randy, if you were to preach that sermon in the churches where I go, he said the altar would be full. He said, I'm puzzled why this, why th this truth is being accepted in such small measure. He said, he said I'm, I'm, I'm bewildered. Because he really left because the freedom that he was feeling that was coming from the sermons that were being preached, the level of freedom that he was wanting to express, he just felt like he couldn't. He said, the places where I go, the messages that you preach and the freedom that you preach it, the power that comes with it, he said the altars would be full. He said people would be on their faces. He said, I don't know why it's being received in such small measure. I, and and I don't, I don't, because I don't feel any responsibility for any kind of response because God saying over me, don't look at their faces, look at mine. I don't have to worry about that. But it was just an interesting conversation that we have learned how to receive truth measured.
the stuff that I've been teaching in Bible study, the stuff that I've been teaching like on Sunday morning, that ought to be the most liberating, freeing stuff. We ought to be, it, it ought to be the most transforming things that we could possibly hear that, you know, I've used this illustration several times today, but if, if when Jeremy was little, there was a, a snake in his room. He comes out of his room and says, Dad, there's a rattlesnake in my room. As the father, you would certainly go in and kill that which would destroy your son. That's what the blood of Jesus did. It destroyed that which could destroy us. But you walk in the room and you kill the snake and you walk out. There's no bed in there. There's no mattress in there. There's no heat in there. There's no cooling in there. There's no light in there. Is he safe in the room? Sure, the snake's dead. But, the, but it's empty. No, he, we don't just kill the snake. We provide in that room the abundance. Because we want the kid not to just live in the freedom from the snake, but we want him to enjoy the fullness of what a father can provide. And we've only taught part of that story. Why do we only teach portions of it? Because I don't know many people that want to hear that there's this newness of life about life in the Spirit where the Holy Spirit indwells us, where, where the, the currency is joy, where we, you know, like if, if, if Jeremy and, and Alicia came to you and said, would you buy me a car? Would you help me buy a house? I need a motorcycle. I've got a gun I want to buy. Come, I'm tired of them asking me for the things I can give them. This is what Jay was teaching on Sunday morning. I'm tired of them asking me for the things I can give them. How did God, how did God solve that? He gave them everything they needed. So that they wouldn't have to ask him for the things that they needed anymore, they could just pursue him. Now, if I finally give you everything that I can possibly give you, you and I can sit down and have a conversation. You can pursue your father now because you don't have to ask him for anything. What Jay was teaching on Sunday morning, we already live in the fullness. There's no more peace for him to give. There's no more joy for him to give. There's no more hope. There's no more truth. There's no more love. We're already in the fullness. Let's accept the fact that we're in the fullness so that now we can just pursue the face of God. So he didn't just save us to get rid of the snake. He said, I want you to live in the abundance. But we, won't, but we accept that in very, very small measure. There's only one hope. There's only one answer to the, to the person who has ears but won't hear and has a tongue but won't speak. Because you cannot counsel him into hearing. You cannot condemn him and get him to hear. You can't criticize him and get him to speak. You can't shame him to get him to do it. You can't love deafness out of his ears and you can't love speech into his tongue. What did he need? He needed an encounter with Jesus. I would tell you every single day, I will counsel, spend time with no one if I didn't believe fully 
that the real ministering person in the room was the Holy Spirit. I can't counsel someone into a good life. I can't encourage them or love them into something better. But I can, in that room, bring them into an encounter with, with Jesus. Or I wouldn't do it. I love sitting and talking. I love visiting. I love hearing what's going on in people's lives. I love helping where I can help. But I would say no to every hour of those appointments if I didn't believe that the Holy Spirit indwelt that room and, and we were about to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. The only answer, get him to Jesus. They brought one to Jesus who was deaf and who could not speak. So why don't we speak? Why don't we hear? Why are we so passive? Why are we afraid? Because we rarely have encounters with Jesus. Rarely have encounters with Jesus. Think that's his desire, design? I was talking to someone today, and I talked to someone yesterday about the same thing. Uh, talking to me about the will of God. And I have so cherished what Kendall taught us about the will of God. Because I had always taught it, drawn it as a line. And so it, it almost creates paralysis. Because if I, if, if, if I represent the will of God as a line, then it's like I have to be very careful where I put my next foot to make sure that it's exactly where God wants me to place my foot. When Kendall told that story of, of his kids playing in the backyard, he, he asked the question in a, in a sermon, are they being obedient? Well, I don't know. You didn't tell them to do anything. Well, are they in my will? Yeah, they're exactly where you want them to be. So that if you speak, they can hear you. But what happens if those children go two houses down and they're in somebody else's yard? What happens when God speaks? They can't hear. So when we have people say, well, God's not talking to me. I can't hear God speak. What's more likely going on that well, God shut up? He didn't have any encounters for us. He didn't have anything to say. What's more likely? Again, think, think of how God creates uh, chastisement. I'm here and under his protection. Which way does this go? Is it that? Or is it this? It's that. Now we think he's done something. No, I left, I left the backyard and I'm two houses down and God's speaking to me. It's like, you know, I'm talking to Matthew. How's school going, Matthew? And I have this conversation. What if Matthew, about the time I get ready to say, Matthew, how's school going? Matthew jumps up and runs outside. Well, now I'm saying to an empty chair, Matthew. How you doing? How's college going? Doing all right? When do you start back to school? Like, this is ridiculous. You're talking to an empty chair. Why is that? Why am I talking to an empty chair? 
because the person I'm talking to moved. I'm still talking. I'm still ready to have an encounter. We ask ourselves then, if, if, if I'm not hearing God, maybe the first question I ought to ask is, God, am I in your will? Or have I wandered off somewhere? Am I actually in somebody else's yard? Because I, I can't believe that he, he, this father who paid such a price for relationship, that we were designed for relationship, says, yeah, we were designed for relationship, but I don't really want to have an encounter. I don't really want to talk to you. I don't want to really be with you. I don't really want to experience, for you to experience me. Why is it that we so rarely encounter God? Well, very often, because we've wandered out of his will. And the consequences will create the awareness that I've, I've wandered off. I asked this question, you know, uh, Rex Clayton, who used to be our pastor here, told us one time about his daughter who slipped out the window. And it, and it stuck with me. He asked the question, when she goes out the window, who's in her life, who's the father? Who is her father? She is. Because the father is the protector. The father is the provider. The father is her security is in the house. When she steps out from under his protection... Who becomes the father? She does. She's having to provide her own protection. She's having to provide her own security. She's having to provide her own provision. Because she stepped out from under the father. He didn't move. He's still willing to protect, provide, do everything he does. She moved. We move. Very often we move. We must be able to point back to a clear place in time when these encounters occur. I couldn't stress that more. I had a lady in my office today in a breakthrough moment. She's telling me about, a, about, a, about something that I, I don't know if she actually said how many years. I'm going to guess 10 years ago. She's carrying hurt from 10 years ago. And I'm telling her, today, this is the day that goes away. Do you think it would be important for her to recognize that today was the day that she could actually say January the 8th, 2020, was the day when God freed me from that old hurt from 10 years ago? Think it's important to know the date? Yeah, because what happens when she has that old feeling? It tries to come back. What can she do if she knows the date? What can she announce? No. January the 8th, 2020, God freed me from that old hurt. Satan, I won't hear you anymore. 
But we live these ambiguous lives with very little history and very few dates attached to this history and wonder why Satan becomes so powerful and effective is because I can't use the best weapons I have to say back here on this date, this time, this time of the day in Randy's office, I asked God, he set me free from that old hurt. That woman has sat down with me and united now about 18 months ago. She sat down and said, man, I'm struggling with something some guilt I've been carrying for 23 years. I guarantee if I ask her today, what was the date, what was the time, what was the place, she can tell you on this date, this time, this place with Randy in United, at 19th and Quaker, I asked God to deal with that guilt and it's been gone ever since. She'd been battling it 23 years. Is that what we believe about God, that here I am as a believer and I'm still having to carry guilt for 23 years? You think she had heard many times about the freedom that, that he offered? She didn't have ears to hear and didn't have a tongue to speak. Notice what Jesus did. No condemnation. It wasn't important to him How'd you get this way? What happened to you? He didn't need to do any research. He didn't need to find any history. He didn't need to go back in, this, in these situations. Sometimes we need to go back. Jesus is sitting here saying, how you got this way is relatively unimportant to me. No condemnation. No accusations. No show or spectacle. Isn't it interesting that he says he took him out of the crowd, came over by himself. Now, if he was going to do this for show, he says, okay, everybody gather around. That's something I want, I want to show you. I, I, want you. I want you to see God at work here. Gather around. Created a spectacle. What did the man who couldn't speak need? What did the man who had ears to hear but couldn't hear I can guarantee you, for us today, trying to make a spectacle out of one of those people will, do, will accomplish nothing. Jesus took them aside. I love that scripture. And they bring him unto him, one that was deaf, in verse 33, and he took him aside from the multitude. <laughs> this had to be the oddest thing. I was like, why would Jesus put his finger in his ear? Why would he spit and touch his tongue? Y'all want to try that? <laughs> Why would Jesus do it? Because that's what he saw. I can only do what I see my father do. I can only speak what I hear my father speak. You think there were these moments when, when Jesus is saying, God, you sure? You <laughs> You sure I'm supposed to spit in this guy's face? You sure I'm supposed to make mud and rub it in his eyes? You sure, Father? No, he didn't question. Because he already knew that I'm going to do what I see my father do, and I'm going to speak what I hear my father speak. So he touches his ear, spits on it, on his, and he touches his tongue. And he says... Be opened. How do you think he said it? 
If he was going to make a spectacle, how would he say it? With great fanfare. I bet it was no louder than be opened. His ears were opened. His tongue was loosed. And he spake plainly. He had had an encounter. It says that in this scripture that Jesus looked up to heaven and he sighed. What do you think that was about? I think, I, I think so. And I think there were multitudes of things really going on in that moment. Because there, there's, there's this very plain moment when it's like, why would Jesus sigh? I've been around people who sigh, and it's like, man, it's painful to hear them sigh because it's like, oh, it's like I've got a, I've got a friend that kind of chronic, chronic sire. Like, oh, you got to stop that. Where's you out? But Jesus sighed. To whom would that make the greatest difference? He's taken this man off by himself. For whom was the sigh? For the other man. See, I love the tenderness in this. I love the gentleness in this moment. No fanfare. No show. No embarrassment. No spectacle. I've got a man here who has a tongue but can't speak, who has ears but can't hear. I could stand in front and I could rant and rave, or I can pull this man to the side and I can speak and I can talk and I don't have to make a spectacle. You certainly can. Good point. Uh, and I would also like to say, nobody probably knows more about how I am oh yick about a lot of things. <laughs> but trust me, if, if it was Jesus, I'd stick my tongue out in heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, in this story, what role do we play? Who are we in this story? Are we simply intercessors to pray for those who, who have ears but can't hear and tongues that can't speak? Who do we see ourselves to be? Yeah. Or I realize that it's the Holy Spirit in me that stands here with Lorinda so that by me now I'm the one 
I, I'm Jesus in the story who lets her have an encounter with God. See, that's, that's what Jesus wants us to know. That I'm the person standing here with this man. It was my actions. It was my hands. It was my instruction. It was me getting him and taking him to the side. But we understand this. Who did the man really have an encounter with? It was the father. It was the father who released the healing. It was the father who transformed this life. If we know that, and I know that I've been given what Jesus has been given. I've been indwelt with the Spirit as he was indwelt with the Spirit. I can approach Teresa, who's, who has ears but doesn't hear, who has a tongue but doesn't speak. And I can be the one, the very agent by which she has an encounter. When you want life to change, dynamically and drastically, we will make ourselves available to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, so that by us and through us, other people can have an encounter with him. I want to tell you, you're not ever going to have a boring day. Every day we anticipate the moment when I get to be the very agent, as Jesus Christ was, filled with the Spirit. I get to be the very agent by which somebody has an encounter with God through me. That's not arrogance. I know the source of the contact. I know the spirit in me that makes it possible. But I also know that by these hands, by this mouth, by these feet, I get to explode into the, into the world around me, transforming, changing, restoring, loving, bringing hope, loosing tongues, clearing up the, ear, the hearing and ears, and anticipate what God's going to do by me. And that's not arrogance. That's the normal Christian life. I want that life. And I, as, as again, as I prayed on Sunday morning, it was, it was the phrase, I don't even know where I heard it. Because when I live that life, I want to hear the applause of two nail-scarred hands. That's it. I want to hear the sound of the applause of two nail-scarred hands. I need the approval of no one else. But I want to know that he, that he sees that I was burying his image. And the applause is not for me. It's for the image that the world got to see. Father, thank you for teaching us tonight just such a tender story. Wonderful story. Thank you, Father, for bringing it to life. Thank you, Father, for letting us see the tenderness in it, how you moved in it, how you loved in it, how you freed in it, so that we, Father, can understand that we find ourselves at times as, as the person who can't hear. We find ourselves, Father, at times as the person who has a tongue but can't speak. And you will love us. And you will bring us into that place of freedom. But Father, let us also see that because you have so chosen, you have so designed that we too have been dwelt by your spirit so that we can be the very agent of the encounter that somebody gets to have with you. And let us 
be amazed by it. They, as it says in this scripture, and they were astonished at what Jesus could do. Let them be astonished at what Jesus can do in me as well. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.